Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege and for the opportunity that you have given us to be able to come into your presence this morning. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ, you came and died for us. And it's only because of your love for us, God, and through your grace and for the gift of faith that we are able to stand here this morning. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who indwells us, directs us, leads us, empowers us. There's nothing we have done to deserve being here this morning in your presence. And so all we can say in humility is thank you, God. You are truly a good, good Father. And now as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to us, and I pray as we've just sung, Spirit, that you will do the work that only you can do to change us so that what we see and what we seek will be in line with the heart of God. So bless this time together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, I don't know if any of you felt like I did early in this week that perhaps we had missed summer and fall had already come. I think it was uh, Monday or Tuesday night, I went to my son's baseball game, and you know it's a bad thing in June when you see the parents all coming from their vehicles with sleeping bags and blankets, and uh, that's not how it should be. But it's a beautiful day today, amen? And uh, it's going to get better, and we've had a few nice days of warm weather. And so I'm just curious to know how many of you have recently stopped at a Dairy Queen to enjoy some of your favorite cool, cool treats now that the weather, look at, good to see you, Jordan. He just came back from serving the Lord overseas, and one of the first things he did is stop by Dairy Queen and had a cool treat. So that's awesome, right? Well, last Sunday night after the video series, Jen and I on our way home stopped by the Dairy Queen up on Simcoe Street North, and we stopped to pick up our kids' requests and what we wanted, and we were going to go home and just have a little mini celebration as a family in honor of our wedding anniversary, and also our daughter April was celebrating her birthday. And... Uh, Dairy Queen treats are so tasty, but they're so bad for us. And in light of our current series in the book of Philippians, I would like to suggest and coin the phrase that joy is like a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. Joy is like a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. I know what Forrest Gump said, but today I'm saying joy is like a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. And the reason why is because if you've ate one of those cakes, you know that they are layered. And you have those outer surface layers that taste pretty good, but they pale in comparison to the satisfaction of when you reach that chocolate, crunchy, fudge layer of goodness. Amen? Amen. You know the layer I'm talking about, right? The layer that you always eat around to eventually get to and leave it till the end. And in fact, I was talking with a coworker this week about where I felt the Lord was wanting me to go with the message this morning, and he decided one day for lunch to go and buy a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. And so we sat together and we enjoyed that, and now because of some healthier decisions I have to make, I was able to taste and enjoy the outer layers, but unfortunately chocolate is one of those things I'm supposed to stay away from. And so I did what we all do, I ate around the whole goodness, and then sitting on my plate was this layer of chocolate crunchy fudge. And it was amazing to watch. It was like being back in Africa. I was surrounded by six hyenas. 
And I felt like a gazelle as I sat at the table. No one said a word. No one said a word. You just hear the tinging of the, the, their plates and their eyes as my piece just sat there. And so I ended up offering it to the gentleman beside me, and he absolutely enthusiastically took the plate, put his fork, and he started to get into that good fudge layer. He didn't even ask if any of the other brothers at the table would like it. There was no option there. The center of the cake that everyone eats saves it to last. And if you want to see emotions flare up in your family, do something fun. The next time you have one of those ice cream cakes, just politely reach over with your fork and offer to finish what is left on one of your kids' plates for them, and you will see emotions flare up real fast. You see, we all have multiple layers of things in our lives that for a moment feel good and make us feel happy. But if we're honest, too often those feelings of happiness go as fast as they come. Similar to the whipped cream frosting and the soft churned ice cream before reaching that satisfying center of the DQ ice cream cake. A few years ago, my wife had the privilege of visiting my brother in Liberia, and she got to be a part of the uh, Operation Christmas Child shoebox distribution, which I just want to say thank you to so many of you who participate in each year. This is a picture of the happiness that these kids express when they receive that little box of love that you have put together. It's incredible. And she said as they came to get the boxes, the happiness in their face was unbelievable. I mean, look how happy that little girl is. And yet the sad reality is that for most kids in the third world, they will leave the distribution event and they will go and continue to live in poverty. And often they will probably be orphaned before their teenagers because diseases like Ebola will sweep in and completely transform their world. Those kids, those of us who are here today, we all, if we're honest, long in the core of our being to experience something more satisfying, something more rich, something more sustaining that will linger and does not leave us as quick as those feelings of happiness. Just like when you save that crunchy fudge layer till the end so you can savor it. And as we've been going through Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul seems to keep indicating that that something we all long for at the core of our being is joy. It's not just feelings of happiness. It's something deeper. It is joy. And through this series, we have learned how joy happens We've even learned how joy happens in spite of our hardships. Last week, Pastor Nick taught us that joy happens in Christian unity, when personally we stand up, when together we stand together, and when we all stand firm, we experience joy. Well, in the section of the letter that we're going to look at this morning, I want to suggest that we will discover that joy happens through obedient living. Joy happens through obedient living. And if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. We will be looking at six verses this morning, verses 12 to 18 of Philippians chapter 2. Read along with me. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear 
and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That's the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. And from that passage, I want us to discover what I believe are three essential ingredients to being able to live in that sweet spot that we all long for where joy happens. And to help us to remember these three essential ingredients, I'm just going to term them the ABCs of joy of living through obedience. The ABCs for experienced joy through obedient living. The first essential ingredient, A, is we have to have the right attitude. We have to have the right attitude. Now these days, because of social media and TV, I think we talk about attitude and having an attitude more in a negative way than we do a positive way. And I do have four children, and some of them are in the junior high female range. And so I can tell you, yes, often we talk about negative attitude, all right? Sass, all right? Oh, she has such a negative attitude. Can you believe his attitude? Even in the professional athlete's world, all these finals going on, the conversation is, oh, I can't stand his attitude. It's always talked about in a negative way. But in the book of Philippians, here we see in verse 5 of chapter 2, Paul actually encourages his congregation to have an attitude. It is okay to have an attitude, but he makes it very clear what kind of attitude we should have. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, the New American Standard Bible translates that verse, have this attitude, this mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was the attitude that Christ had? Well, verse 6 says, Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have this same attitude of Christ. Christ displayed an attitude of humility and obedience. That is why Paul begins the section we're looking at today in verse 12 with therefore. Therefore, in light of Christ's example, in light of the attitude of humility and obedience that he modeled for us, pursue being like Christ through obedience. And we can see from verse 12 that for the most part it would seem that the congregation had the right attitude. I mean, look what he says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. They seem to have the right attitude. They were obedient. Not just sometimes. What do you say? As you have always obeyed. What an incredible testimony for a congregation. 
For a pastor to be able to say to his beloved ones, as you have always behaved, whether I'm with you or not, you guys just always behave. You see, the right attitude towards obedient living should not be determined by who is watching us or where we are. I had a book given to me in high school, and the title of it was, Integrity is Who You Are When No One Is Watching. Integrity is who you are when no one is watching. And according to Paul's testimony regarding his congregation, it would seem that they were, for the most part, a people of integrity. However, Paul doesn't stop there. He encourages his friends to make sure that they do not sit back and think, wow, look at us. We have made it. We have totally nailed this thing that we're supposed to have the same attitude of Christ. We have nailed it. No, what does Paul say? He says, yes, you are obedient. Now continue. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Church family, we need to be very careful of settling in to that dangerous mindset where we think we are somehow more than we really are or that we have made it. Don't forget, we learned from Pastor Rick in the first week, we are saints. Praise God. But how did we become saints? By God's grace and mercy. So sitting back and setting the spiritual cruise control on your life as you journey as a follower of Jesus Christ, can I just say is something very dangerous that we should always be aware of. Because it will prevent us from being effective on our mission as Christ's ambassadors. We don't have time this morning, but if you were to study Paul's life, very rarely did Paul sit back and set the spiritual cruise control as a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, turn with me to chapter 3 and verse 12 and listen to how he describes who he is. Chapter 3 and verse 12, not that I have already obtained all things. He's humble. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul urges them to pursue, continue pursuing obedient living. How? By continuing to work out your salvation with what kind of attitude? Fear and trembling. Not being afraid of God. That's not what he's saying here. L work out your salvation in awe and reverence of who God is and what he has so wonderfully done for each and every one of us. Please note how he words it. He says, work out your salvation, indicating that they already possess salvation. Paul in no way, and neither am I this morning, preaching that you can somehow earn your salvation through good works or lots of effort. That is not what Paul is saying. In fact, one of the most important themes that you'll find throughout Paul's writings is that human effort cannot even cooperate with God's grace to yield the right standing before God on the final day. Let us not forget what he 
said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Listen, regarding our salvation. For it is by grace we have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So when he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he is not saying earn your salvation through works. Why? So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So what is he saying then? Here's what he's encouraging his congregation to do. And here's what God's word is encouraging us to do as a congregation this morning. That we would daily, intentionally commit ourselves to obediently conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's intentional. We have to be committed to it. And what is it we're committed to? To working out, to displaying the fruit of this amazing gift we have been given by God, the salvation we have, to live it out on a daily basis. In the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24, we are to live as a disciple, daily denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Jesus. When you hear that, when you hear Paul's exhortation to his congregation, do you understand this is not a passive way of thinking? This is not a passive attitude. This is not a passive way of living. It requires focus. It requires effort. And Paul does not pretend that working out the implications of the gospel into this lifestyle of practical hum humility and obedience is easy. I mean, where is he spurring them on with this truth? Where is he writing from? himself. Prison. So it's not Paul, like Paul is saying, hey, you guys need to have the right attitude and you need to walk humbly and you need to walk obediently and it's going to be real easy. No, he's spurring them on with this truth from prison. But you know what I love about Paul? He has such a shepherd heart because often sometimes we are guilty of challenging people, but then we never give them the hope that can actually help them see the realization of what they're being challenged, accomplished in their life. And so Paul not only says, have the right attitude. You need to continue to work out your salvation with humility and in obedience. But then in verse 13, he gives them the hope. He gives them the reason for why they can actually live this way with the right attitude. For it is God. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Brothers and sisters, as we seek to be obedient daily, working out our salvation with the right attitude, please be encouraged that God, as we enter into following him with that type of commitment, God will energize our desires and God will energize our actions. Although we are to work out our salvation, it is the Lord who actually produces the good works and the good fruit in our lives. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will produce much fruit. It is God's power that enables us to have the right attitude to willingly and obediently live lives that please Him. And when that happens, that's when you will experience John Piper defines this type of joy. 
Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in his word and in the world. Do you know the difference with that definition between feelings of happiness? Often feelings of happiness are dependent on what is going on outside of us. But joy, joy is birthed from what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. So irregardless of what's happening on the outside, we can experience joy because it's the Holy Spirit doing work on the inside of us. So the first essential ingredient is we've got to have the right attitude. Joy happens when the right attitude mixed with the right focus, continue to work, is power, empowered by God and produces results in your life. You will experience joy. B, the second essential ingredient, we have to have the right behavior. We have to have the right behavior. And you notice in the, in the scriptures we read today, Paul does not sugarcoat his expectations regarding how followers of Jesus Christ should behave. I mean, he just tells them like it is. You are to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Wow. Thank God it's him working in us to be able to do that. He doesn't sugarcoat what he tells them. You are to do everything. How many of you already have sin to confess this week? I'm putting my hand up. Hokey Dinah, right? You are to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Interesting why he tells them this. Could it be possibly that this is an indication that perhaps they were beginning to sit back and set the spiritual cruise control on their journey as followers of Jesus Christ? Rather than continuing to work out their salvation in community with each other, they were choosing to sit back and push the spiritual cruise control. And when we do that as a community, dissension and disunity will creep in. Dissension and disunity will creep in. And there are a couple of reasons why Paul seems to have such an urgency to instructions. He doesn't beat around the bush. Do everything without Grumbling or arguing. And in verse 15, we see two reasons why. And there's two statements. So that, then you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that, then you. So let's look at what those two reasons are, why we should pursue this with the right attitude. First of all, he says in verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Wow, when you read that, do you think it's important that we should not grumble or argue? Wow. So that you may become this process of becoming like Christ, sanctification, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul is not saying so that you will be absolutely sinless and perfect. Rather, he's inviting his congregation, and we are being invited today by God's word, to pursue wholehearted, with undivided devotion, God's will. So that our identity and our reputation as children of God are at risk when we grumble and when we argue. Paul is saying that by not grumbling and arguing, congregation, you will prove yourselves to not be part of the warped and crooked generation. Do you remember their spiritual ancestors? Remember the people who were led out of captivity 
by Moses? In the Old Testament books of Exodus and Numbers, you will find a combined 14 times where the Israelites grumbled and argued to the point where Moses described them, listen closely, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 and 5, as corrupt, not his children, to their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. What made him say that about them? They would not stop grumbling and arguing. Our identity and our reputation as being children of God are at risk. That is why Paul says we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because it takes that level of seriousness for the task of living out our commitment to the gospel in a way that demonstrates to ourselves and those around us that we are genuine believers. So the first reason is so that. But then later on you'll see the second reason, then you. If you stop grumbling and arguing, then you. Then you will be able to do what? You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. If we stop arguing and grumbling, then we will shine like stars amongst them. Who is them? Those outside the faith. If we hold, as you hold firmly to the word of life. I like how the New American Standard Bible translates this verse. The NIV seems to paint the picture for us that we, as we uh, shine like stars in the sky, we're holding firmly to the word of God. The New American translation of this verse reads this way. You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold forth the word of life. As you obediently, with the right attitude, behave in a way without grumbling and arguing, you will shine like stars to those in our community as you hold forth the Word of God. You see, our external proclamation of the gospel will be significantly hindered if inside we are grumbling and we are arguing. In being saved, we not only escape the wrath of God for our sins, praise God for that, but in being saved, he also redeemed us for a purpose. And that purpose is to shine as beacons of light within the darkness of the world gone astray. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians where he describes what we have as he said, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and to our community, as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you see now how when we don't have the right behavior, the effectiveness of sharing and holding forth this good news to our community is significantly going to be hindered. Light attracts. Light draws attention. I remember growing up in Africa when it would rain, they have these things called flying ants. They have one flight. And when it rains and the city lights come on the street, you will not believe the clouds of these flying ants that just flutter around. And forgive me if I don't remember this right, but it seems to me their wings somehow fell off after their one flight. But it was a time of rejoicing too because people ate them. And they're not bad, fried. All right? So, but you'd have, right, John? John's not even, he lived in Sierra Leone, right? So you have these things. But why did they all of a sudden appear? The light was on, and these bugs were attracted to them. Light attracts, it draws attention. Last weekend, I had the privilege of being on the father-son campout. 
And uh, we were sitting around the campfire at night, and this one boy came walking from around the corner, and he was just walking like this, and he wasn't moving. And as he got closer, we realized his right arm was flashing on and off, on and off. And he was in complete awe of what was happening. And then eventually the flashing moved from his arm up his sleeve, and all of a sudden his chest was flashing. But if you could have seen the awe on this kid's face and the amazement of what he was experiencing, before you knew it, other boys were drawn to it. And they started to huddle around him. And they started to talk about it. And they were amazed at the light of a firefly that was inside this boy's shirt. Light attracts. Light draws attention. You know what it made me think about this week for my own life? When was the last time one of my neighbors or coworkers, or for that matter, my brothers and sisters in Christ were amazed by the light of Christ in me as seen through my behavior. Those boys were in awe of what they were witnessing. When was the last time the light of Christ in us drew attention from our neighbors and our coworkers and people in our community by the light of Christ living in us as seen through our behavior. Holding forth the word of life, offering this good news to those in our community like we're going to do next Sunday, outside of the faith, requires us to demonstrate its transformational power by the way we live our lives inside the church and outside the church. Our unity through obedience has to be visible. What did he say about them? You obey whether I'm with you and all the more when I'm not with you. Our obedience, our right behavior has to be visible. The world must be able to see it and draw conclusions from what they see in us. Listen to how Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17 and verse 20. And listen closely to the correlation between their behavior, not grumbling or arguing, and the impact that will have on their message. Listen closely. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me, that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you hear even in Jesus' prayer, the urgency of his heart is that his disciples will be one so that the world will believe their message. Joy happens when we have the right attitude mixed with the right focus empowered by God that produces results. You'll experience joy. Joy happens when the, our right behavior reflects to those around us who we are and positively impacts those outside of the faith. Let me give you a quick example. Last Sunday night, we were challenged through the video series, to use our possessions as a tool for sharing the gospel. 
And this week I had the privilege of receiving an email. I'm not going to read it fully to you, but I'm going to just give you the gist of it. Now, as I share this with you, remember, joy happens when our behavior reflects who we are and positively impacts those around us. And so this lady wrote to me to say that she had a couple of tables on Virage sale. I learned how this week what Virage sale is. And so she said she had a couple of tables and she was hoping to make a little bit of money. And so she finally heard from a lady who was interested in the tables. And as she phoned this lady to say, sure, let's make a deal, she felt in her spirit the Lord impressing her the challenge she had received Sunday night. Use your possessions to share the gospel. Let your right behavior reflect who you are and positively impact those around you. Use your possessions to share the gospel. So she phoned the lady and she said, yes, I have these tables and absolutely you can have them. And I want you to know what I'm about to say to you is not going to make any sense to you, but you can have them for no charge. They are free. And then he was like, wow, why? And she then went on to explain the gospel because Jesus Christ gave himself up freely for me and this is how he wants me to share his love with you by freely giving you something that you want. That's what right behavior looks like. Reflecting who she was, a child of God, and positively impacting someone outside of the faith. She went on to find out that that lady's mom is actually in her last days of stage four cancer and is now starting to pray for that lady. We do not know what the end results of that conversation and that transaction will be, but you know what? From someone inside our church, you know what brought her the most joy? Was that she had the right attitude, and that right attitude was obediently lived out in her life through her behavior, and she experienced great joy. Right behavior reflects who we are and positively impacts those around us. A, B, C. We have to have the right commitment. The right commitment. You see, being committed to something greater than ourselves is essential to being able to experience joy. And for disciples of Jesus Christ, that something else that we have to be committed to that's greater than ourselves is the advancement of this good news, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 16 to 18, you see that Paul never asked his congregation to do anything that Christ had not modeled and that he himself was not committed to following. That's why Paul could confidently say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow Christ's example. In spite of his personal circumstances, in spite of being in prison, what brought him joy, that satisfying, rich, sustaining feeling in his soul that lingers produced by the Holy Spirit was this, the thought that when it was all said and done, when his life would possibly come to an end, he had spent it committed to advancing the gospel. That's what brought him that joy in spite of his circumstances. Although on the outside, his circumstances were not good, on the inside, the Holy Spirit was working in him so that he could rejoice knowing that he had committed his life to advancing the gospel. 
And in his letter, you can hear his heart. If his dear friends would commit to continuing to obediently work out their salvation with the right attitude, fear and trembling, evidenced by their right behavior, no longer grumbling or arguing. And in so doing, they would become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, shining like stars among unbelievers as they held forth the word of life. Paul would be able to sit in his cell, look back and know that he did not run or labor in vain. The advancement of the gospel in his own life and in the lives of his friends made the commitment that landed him in prison worthwhile. Even as he faced the prospect of being poured out as a drink offering, he was still rejoicing and he invited his congregation to rejoice with him. You see, brothers and sisters, as we wrap up, such commitment, such commitment produces a settled sense of peace. That's what we're all longing for. Regardless of our circumstances, such commitment produces a settled sense of peace that will accompany you, whether you are in plenty or whether you are in want, because you know that your life is devoted to something greater than yourselves, and that is the advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace is totally free, but that does not mean there is no personal cost in being involved as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul urges his congregation to commit to work because the salvation we have been granted by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the mission he has invited us to be a part of, to be light, is too great to eclipse our joy. Joy happens when the right attitude, mixed with the right focus, empowered by God, produces results. Joy happens when the right behavior reflects who we are and positively impacts those around us. And joy happens when we embrace his mission. And personally and corporately, we invest our lives to advance the gospel. That is why Paul was able to say in chapter 1 and verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then in verse 18, even though while in jail, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. How is he able to do that? Because he experienced joy through obedient living. He had the right attitude. He was humble and he was obedient, displayed by the right behavior, and he possessed the right commitment. Only, though, because of the grace of God was he able to actually live out those three essential ingredients because God was at work in Paul's life to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. The ABCs of joy through obedient living are available to you. They're available to me. And he has given us the power to experience them. How will we respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your word that helps us to know how to follow you as your disciples in 2018. I thank you for Paul. 
Father, we know Paul's life. He was not perfect, but you were working in his life. And as a result, he was able to have the right attitude, display the right behavior, and model for us the right commitment. Oh God, would you forgive us when we have not had the right attitude? Would you forgive us when we have not had the right behavior? Forgive us for when we grumble and when we argue. Our identity and reputation and the effectiveness of our mission is at risk, and thank you for helping us to realize that this morning. And now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you equip us to be committed to advancing the gospel for your glory, for your name's sake. And we pray this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I mentioned in the first service, I doubt you had to go to the Philippian church and ask them if they thought Christ was enough for Paul. I don't even think you had to go and ask the men who were guarding him in jail whether Christ was enough for Paul. Why? Because he had the right attitude, displayed through the right behavior, and he possessed the right commitment. And if you were to ask Paul, Paul, was it worth it? Was that commitment worthwhile? Listen to what he says. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Absolutely worth it. Those who belong to God's people demonstrate their membership by working out their salvation. Calvary, let us avoid making the mistake of the ancient Israelites who allowed grumbling and arguing to stand in the way of their inheritance and whose subsequent failure to be light to the Gentiles meant that God gave this privilege to be light to another people. We have been given the same privilege to be light. How sad it would be to waste our opportunity to advance the gospel in Oshawa because of our attitude, our behavior, or our lack of commitment. By God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let us live in that sweet spot where joy happens through obedient living, loving and serving God, loving and serving one another without grumbling or arguing, committing together to live to those outside in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's go for it. He's given us everything we need for godliness and right living. May God bless you, and may God give you a great day, and we look forward to coming back as a family tonight to celebrate what he is doing in terms of his work here at Calvary. God bless.